friends. My guest today is my dad. He is a hilarious dude. He cracks me up constantly. Um, and I've always appreciated his knack for uh, having stories and telling stories. And it was cool to sit down with him and go through a bunch of this stuff. He is an awesome dad, and I love him. And his name is Jalen Maxwell. So I don't know if I ever told you this before or not, but uh, there was one time when I was like, I don't know, nine or 10 or something. And uh, your brother Cliff came out and it, it had to have been when we lived in the Dallas. And uh, you and him and I took a trip to Pine Creek. Mm -hmm. I remember. And I was laying in the back seat sleeping. I remember. And uh, I woke up halfway through somewhere in this area, probably. And um, you guys were just telling stories the whole time. Basically, the entire six-hour drive just cracking me up. And so you, you've always had a bunch of crazy stories and a bunch of things that have happened to you and funny situations. And uh, that is the point of this right here is just capturing people's stories and hearing about different people's lives. So uh, I, think, I think it'd be cool uh, this summer if, if Cliff comes out again, mm -hmm. maybe we could set up in the little house yeah, and then you two could do it together with me <laughs> and then you would be bouncing off each other. And because I think it, it's easier if you have someone else, like when I sit down with Farger or somebody, they help me remember things that I forgot. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, and everybody has a different perspective mm -hmm. on or an opinion on how things happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'd be fun to have him. Yeah. Because you guys got some cool stories. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to start out with basically your life growing up was probably fairly normal in that time period. But compared to now, it's like a different world. And so I just wanted you to like start off and just tell us like what you would do on a daily basis when you were, when you were a little kid, like what would you wake up and go do? So we grew up in a small town, New Pine Creek, um, and uh, which is on the Oregon, California border. And at the time I remember as a kid growing up, the, the population sign said 460, but I'm sure it wasn't 460. I'm sure it was probably around maybe 300. Um, if even that much, um, it was mostly older people and they had nice yards and that's where I started my first job. Um, I was 11 and I started mowing lawns, but further back than that, as a kid growing up, mostly Tonka trucks in the backyard. And I put a million miles on my bicycles mm -hmm. and I had, I had um, probably had four or five different bicycles, but grew up, um, right across the street from my, my grandma and my granddad's house. And they passed away when I was nine. So I didn't get to spend a lot of time with them and I didn't really get to know them, but I have a lot of memories about, um, doing things there in their yard. And then, and then we finally got a, a little, little house up the street from them and, um, just, I remember we had a big creek that ran through our, our, uh, on the outside, I guess, of our, our land. Um, 
the lot that we lived on. And we would go over there. I would fish all the time. It was called, of course, the Big Creek. And then on the other side of the house, there was a Little Creek. There were no fish that I remember in the Little Creek, but there was lots of, of uh, trout in the Big Creek. And I'd go fishing and we'd swim every, every year. We'd swim in the ice cold waters of the Big Creek. And so you guys would just wake up in the morning and get on your bike and leave and then just be gone for the entire day, right? Essentially? Well, my older brother, Cliff, it was three years older. And so I mostly, most everything I did as a child growing up was on my own. There were very few, there were very few kids my age to play with in town. And the ones that, that I did get to play with wound up and their parents wound up divorcing. And so I didn't get to spend a lot of time. I, I, I had one of my best friends. He would come for the, uh, I think he stayed for three weeks or maybe four weeks uh, every summer. And growing up, you know, for the, and I don't remember how old I was, four or five, six, somewhere in there. He was there and his parents were together, but then they got divorced and he moved away. So when he would come back, I only got to see him, uh, like I say, between two and four weeks out of the year. Mm -hmm. Then I had another really good best friend who lived down on the other side of town, um, like eight blocks away. And we, I did a lot of things with him. His mom and dad, his dad was a timber faller. And of course, timber falling in that area, uh, in, the, in the Lake County area went to heck. Um, and so they wound up moving, but him and I were, we got to, I mean, we were friends and, and hung out together for, I don't know, probably five, five or six years. Mm -hmm. Had another best friend down the road, but he was, uh, he he was kind of in the same situation. He spent time with his dad and with his with his mom lived in town, but then he spent time with his dad in Lakeview, and so um, that kind of broke things up. So I mostly did things on my own. Spent lots and lots of, and lots of hours behind my house building roads with Tonka trucks and graders and bulldozers. And, and why wasn't Cliff playing with you? He's just too much three, older? Yeah, three years it doesn't seem like a lot, but it was. And then my younger brother was eight years younger than I was. Yeah. And so, of course, we hardly did anything. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so you had a handful of friends over the course of like, like five to 12. And you, you went to the school that was right down the street too, right? The school was right next to the house? Uh, yeah. The, well, up until from the first to the four. From the first to the fourth grade, almost finishing up the fourth grade, I guess, we were in the old state line building, which was out on the highway through US 395. And then I guess it was halfway through my fourth grade year, um, they had finished the new state line school. And I remember everybody held hands and we crossed the big highway, went through the field and went into the new school. And then, and then fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, that was there. Then um, my freshman year, because we lived... Uh, about a thousand yards across the California line, Oregon wouldn't take us, um, uh, and so we had to go to California. So they for so for my freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, I, I we they shipped us fifty miles one way, hundred mile round trip, for four years. Mm -hmm. So we'd catch the school bus at six six fifteen in the morning, and then we'd get off the school bus at at uh, four fifty or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's an intense ride to get to and from school. Gave us gave us time to sleep. Yeah, or do our homework on the way home. Well, until you got a car too, right? Once you got a car, you started driving. Well, so when Cliff was a freshman, 
or I'm sorry, when Cliff was a senior, his senior year, I was a freshman. So I rode with him. We st- uh, started football practice in the summertime, and I rode with him, um, and, and he drove a lot. And then my sophomore year, of course, I didn't have a license, but one of my good friends was a year older, so I got to ride with him a little bit, but most of it was bus riding. And then, um, and then when, I, when I got my license, I drove, oh, I don't know, I'd say once or twice maybe a week, but, I didn't, but it was too expensive. I mean, gas was only, I don't know, 80 or 90 cents a gallon, but that was pretty tough when you were making $2 a, an hour yeah. wages at the gas station yeah. two days a week. So you're going to the school that's just right down the street, and uh, that's when you started playing drums, right? I started playing drums in the fourth grade. We had uh, a, a teacher who was in Alturas. That's where I went, where they shipped us to high school. And uh, Modoc Unified School District decided that they, would, they wanted to do something as far as musically, uh, and as far as music and arts. And so they sent a music teacher down to us, and they also sent an art teacher down. Um, the art teacher kind of fizzled out, but the music teacher, was his name was Mr. Buffum, and I loved him. He was an awesome teacher. Um, and I had him in high school when I got in there uh, as in the jazz band. But um, he came down, and I started playing. I mean, we all got to choose what instruments we were going to play. And uh, my best friend um, at that time in school picked the drums. And I picked the the um, tuba, and so it's I, I didn't the, know that. Yeah, it's that great big massive horn that you crawl underneath and get into, and wrap yourself around. And uh, I started I started to play that. And in the meantime, um, well, I, I got to go back a little bit because when I was ten, that's when I got on my girlfriend's horse that had never been ridden before, and hit and. Uh, the little filly took off at a gallop across the field and I was sliding off and we just happened to pass a post when I slid down that far and I hit the post with my face, knocked out six front teeth, um, busted up my, my face. And so I had what was called a flipper at that time. So it gave me teeth. And, and by the time the band, now we'll fast forward a little bit. So by the time I got ready to get into band and I, I thought that that's the, the instrument I wanted to play, my mouth, because everything was so mouth misformed mm-hmm. from the accident, I couldn't make good contact on the big mouthpiece on the tuba. So the, as we're trying and I wasn't doing very well, the, uh, Mr. Buffum said, hey, my best friend was named Sean. He said, hey, Sean, what? you know what? You're not picking up the drum quite. <laughs> you suck, Sean. <clears throat> yeah. And um, Chalen can't play the horn because he has no mouth. So why don't you guys switch? So I, we said, okay. So he started playing the tuba. He didn't like it. He went to the saxophone and he became a pretty good saxophone player. Yeah. I went to the drums and started playing the drums. But um, the only thing we had was a marching drum, a big, deep marching drum. And we found a stand to put that on, and I used that as my snare drum. And then we had a bass drum, and I started playing the bass drum by hand, uh-huh. you know, b- boom, chuck, boom, chuck. Uh-huh. And then um, Mr. Buffum brought me in, and I wish I still had it to this day because it'd be worth money. It was a, it was a great big long um, bass drum pedal, but you didn't play it li- like this. Mm-hmm. You played it like this. Oh, uh, with your heel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, and I, I can't. Yeah, I want to say it was a ghost pedal, but I don't think so. I, I think it had a different name brand. Do you like playing that better than a regular kick drum? No, 
No, no. But what would happen is I had to scoot the, the bass drum further out because uh-huh. he didn't want me to play it with my ankle uh-huh. because that, that the, it was like a hundred year old pedal. So he, we scooted it out and I would play it like this, like this. Uh-huh. And, and so it would, so it would beat backwards, but my foot was out. That's weird. So then what I did is I got, he brought me down another marching snare and we took the snare off of it and p- put it on a stand up in front. So I had a snare drum, which was, which was the a marching mm-hmm. big deep. And then I had a tom and then I had a cymbal that was about an eighth, maybe three sixteenths of an inch thick. And I have no idea. It must've been a gonger or something, but when I hit it, it <laughs> and it just rang. Um, and that's what I started playing. And then later on, um, I saved up enough money and I bought a drum set. Yeah. And then that, and then I was playing that. Uh-huh. And then, and so, so I didn't know that you never told me that before, or I blocked it out or something. If you wouldn't have gotten your teeth knocked out, you might've never started playing drums. You might've been a tuba player. Pro- yeah, probably not. And so let's go back on that one because that's, I mean, that affected your life in every way possible, right? Your teeth get knocked out. You're, <laughs> you're, you're 10 years old and it was, was it you and Cliff, your brother Cliff? Mm-hmm. No. He wasn't there? No. We, I, I, I went down to visit, um, and I guess I can use their names. It doesn't matter. Um, I went down to visit my girlfriend. Her name was Stacy. And you're 10 years old. You went yeah. to visit your girlfriend. Yeah. And, okay. and then her younger brother was my age, Sean. I went to visit Sean, but mm. I had a crush on Stacy. And so we were down there and we walked down to this old, we called it the haunted house. It was down their lane. We walked down there and we're throwing rocks and having a good time. And then we were walking back. And as we were walking back, we passed the corral fence, whatever that her little filly was in. And Sean, I don't know what happened to Sean. Sean went in the house or something. And Stacy and I were out there and I said, Hey, you know, boost me up. Cause I wanted to show off how I could ride a horse. I'd never, I've never been on a horse before. The horse had never had anybody on it. And she was like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. And I said, Oh yeah, come on. So she boosted me up on it and whew, shot across the field and bam, smooshed my mouth and stuck, uh, three teeth were stuck in the post. Um, and they, you, had, you had splinters in your gums too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It split my it split my gum, my gums like this, and my teeth are here. It split my gums like this. Oh, wow. So there was, I, so I had two gums. I had an outer gum and an inner gum. Oh, my God. And then they had to, the Dr. Miles, who was an awesome dentist in Lakeview, spent I don't know how many hours trying to stitch me up and, and picking the bone fragments and stuff. Yeah, so you go flying off this horse, and I'm sure she starts freaking out. Did you black out, or like what happened to you? You were totally lucid after it happened? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure to a certain extent I was in shock, but I can remember, I can remember, uh-huh. I, no, I didn't black out. I remember holding my mouth and coming over and, and there was blood all over. And I was saying, you need, go get your mom. And she was going, come wash your mouth out in the creek. And she could see the blood. Uh-huh. And I said, go get your mom. And she said, no, no, wash your mouth out first. And I was like, no, go get your, well, so. She didn't know your teeth got knocked out. No, we didn't, we didn't know. I knew something was, was in, I knew I was in trouble, but I yeah. didn't know how deep. So we got in the house and, and, um, her mom was, her mom freaked out mm-hmm. and, um, we looked in the mirror and I could see I didn't have any teeth. And then her mom got almost, well, she, her mom got frantic and I don't know how she wound up driving, but she drove us back to Pine Creek, which was five miles away. And then she had to go inside 
and tell your mom, D, what happened. Yeah? Um, to be she perfectly honest, I, I mean, that sounds cold, and, and I wouldn't want to put, and I wouldn't want to say that to harm her, but I don't remember that. I remember going in and my mom going, oh, my God, oh, my God, Jaylee, oh, my God. And I laid me down on the couch, and then um, she didn't know what to do. And so I think at that point in time, she called Dr. Miles, called the dentist, and then they got me up. And then they had to take me to the hospital to do x-rays to see how much damage was done to my face. Um, but I honestly don't remember her, his, her mom coming in and saying anything. Not, not to say that she didn't, not to yeah. say that she you wasn't worried. Remember. I just don't remember. Yeah. So do you have... Like, if you think about it right now, if you closed your eyes and thought about it, could you remember being there? Like, is that one of those memories that oh, yeah. is vivid in your brain? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this. If I could change anything um, about my appearance, if I could go back, I would, because I feel like I'm a, a completely different person with, with false teeth, with a bridge. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it doesn't fit my, I mean, it's, that's not how I looked. And I, and I often wonder how I would look with my real teeth growing up. Well, yeah, because after that, I mean, how long did you go without teeth? Um, I went without teeth for about, uh, I want to say four months, six months. Zero teeth on your top row. Zero teeth. Yeah. Um, got made fun of, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I, um, yeah, because I had to heal up and everything. Um, and plus, at 10 years old, you're not done my mouth wasn't done forming. My face wasn't done forming. So they couldn't do much about teeth until I had formed. So I, yeah, I want to say it was six months, maybe six months to nine months without teeth. So and then brutal. I got, and then I got the, the flipper. They made the flipper for me. And the flipper wasn't much better, right? No, the flipper had teeth. Yeah. The flipper had teeth. But I mean, it, it would pop out on you all the time, right? Well, no, it had little wires in the back that held in, but I okay. could, I got to where I could pop them out <laughs> and I would, I would pop them out at kids looking at me or something, I go pop my teeth out and they don't, they'd always freak out. And, and I would do it all the time. And then, um, mom caught me doing it. And she said, you know, one of these days you're going to flip those out and they're going to break and we're not going to buy you new ones. And I was like, okay. So that went on for, I don't know, another six months or whatever. And one day I was walking in the kitchen and it popped out, Tick! <laughs> snapped the tooth off on the floor. Um, but at that point in time, my mouth had grown enough that I was really actually due for a new, new flipper. So mm -hmm. we got a new you had to replace it what like every couple of years no i think i only got i think i only had three new flippers yeah then the one the last flipper i had or the second to the last flipper i had i was in high school and i must have been a sophomore or a junior and we were lined up in the halls and um some girls were walking by um girlfriends female friends and one of them was had a was had a one of those icicle round you know multicolored round icicle, lollipop icicles it was about that big around okay. about that long mm -hmm. and she was sucking on that and a popsicle and I go hey give me a bite of that and she leaned over and, and I bit into it and and my teeth snapped <laughs> <laughs> and she screamed and dropped the <laughs> dropped the popsicle and my teeth went flat and across the floor and I picked them up and. And took off running and ran to the office and said, hey, I've, I've got to go. i got to go home. i got to go home. And, and, well, and then what? Do you, you had to wait for the bus? Um, no, because I, 
I'm pretty sure that day I drove. Yeah. I'm pretty sure by that time. I must have been a junior because I was driving. Um, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I don't <laughs> think I was a senior. Snapped those baby right off. Yeah, that must have been awkward the next day or the next time you saw her. Um, I don't know if I, I went to school the next I Maybe I might have super glued him or something <laughs> <laughs> and went to school the next day. Yeah, that's brutal. It's one of those things that like, you just, I mean, anybody who has teeth takes that for granted, but if yeah. you got to deal with it like that, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars, not only that mom and dad spent, uh -huh. but your mom and I have spent. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, a, it's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. So hopefully this set will last me the rest of my life, but mm -hmm. you never know. You never know. You got to watch those popsicles. <laughs> so you're, you're hanging out in Pine Creek, which is a town of 460 or whatever, right on the other side of the border of Oregon and California. And you got to go down the 40 miles to Alturas? 50 miles. 50, 50 miles to 50 Alturas. miles to Alturas. God, that is so long. Um, and so what, uh, what else was going on in that time period? You, when you were in elementary school, you're riding your bike, fishing, playing drums, and then you get to high school and you kind of do When did you start working? What was the first job? Was it the gas station? The, well, the first job was when I was 11, mowing lawns. Um, and I made enough mowing lawns from age 11 to, to 16 to buy my first car. My first car was a, a Volkswagen Beetle. How much was that? Mm, I think it was twelve hundred bucks, but I but I can't remember twelve hundred fifteen hundred dollars. You made twelve hundred dollars mowing lawns. Mm -hmm. How did you save that much money? Because there wasn't anything else to spend it on. There wasn't anything else. I mean, bubble gum, penny piece. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't anything else did to you, do. Did you have a bank account or mm -hmm. coffee can or what? Yep, I had a bank account. Yeah, put money in it. Not, so, in, not in Pine Creek, in Lakeview? Bank account? Yeah, there was no bank in yeah. New Pine Creek. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at that point, what, what did Pine Creek have? Just the... It had, when I was growing up, it had two grocery stores. Really? It had a, it had a motel. Um, it had a Grange Hall. It had a church, um, a rock shop, two service stations, a cafe. That was in my, in, when I was real young. And then... As I got older, one of the, the, one of the grocery stores went out of business. Um, one of the uh, gas stations went out of business. Um, the motel kind of... Yeah, who is staying at the motel? Oh, only the... <laughs> only the, the, the finest citizens. Only the finest citizens that would pass through our territory <laughs> could stay there. Well, Dee told me that back in the day, like 1900, 1910, 1920, she said it was a red light district. Yeah, um, back, I mean, long before I was born, um, Willow Ranch is five miles from New Pine Creek mm -hmm. towards Alturas, yeah, Willow Ranch, California. And back in the 30s, I want to say the 30s, 40s, 50s, they had a mill and Willow Ranch doesn't exist right now anymore. Um, I mean, there's a few people that live that ranch down there, but the town doesn't exist anymore. But that at the time, I think my mom said that the it was like a population like two, two, twenty five hundred, three thousand. Don't quote me, but it 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 was it was moving. And in Lakeview, which was fourteen miles across the Oregon border, um, that town has always 
was, was at that time around, I want to say three to 4,000 people. And there were at one time five mills supporting the town of Lakeview. Mill, you mean like a lumber mill? Lumber mills. Yeah. Yeah. And then slowly, one by one, they just started dropping off. The timber was getting further and further away to bring in. And then um, the spotted owl thing just totally flattened it. Spotted owl, the, the actual animal? Well, when, and I don't remember what year it was, the Congress passed the bill that spotted owl um, was an endangered species. And they were native to the trees that they were chopping the, down. Yeah, the dead trees. Gotcha. And so they, it, it was infringing in their habitat. And so the government said, they're gonna, we're going to shut it down. And huh. so they pretty much did away with the, the most of the logging and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think at that time, I don't remember for sure, but I think at that time it had something to do with the environmentalists also, because the, for some reason, somebody had this wild idea about clear cutting, which is absolutely insane to go in and clear cut. Um, a man, a, a forest should be managed like a garden, and somewhere along the way i don't know what the purpose was but they they had spots where they where they called clear cuts and they just i mean you'd be driving along in the trees and then all of a sudden zilch nothing and they'd go in and they'd clear cut this area now whether or not there was a purpose for it at that time i don't know but it it made the environmentalists pretty upset and i mean yeah. it, it wasn't right to begin with there was there was no reason that i can think of to clear cut well i think they have a law now where for every tree you chop down you have to plant a new one Right? Isn't that something along those lines? Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but the logging still hasn't opened up. They've still, the environmentalists have, have still fought and fought and fought over, the, over it. And, and, and I'll, I reiterate, for a forest should be managed. Mm-hmm. It, it, it period into discussion. Mm-hmm. And it can be. And instead of spending billions of dollars every year to fight forest fires, we could be raking in the revenues from managing the forest. And, and yeah, maybe we're going to have forest fires, but it's not going to burn up billions of dollars of timber and, and, uh, and we're not going to spend billions of dollars trying to fight it. Or, well, yeah, we probably will spend billions of dollars fighting it, but at least we'll have generated that revenue from managing it. Um, well, I don't know that much about it either, but uh, isn't it good for there to be fires occasionally because it clears the area and allows new growth? Mm-hmm. And, they, and they do do that. And and. I mean, they're here in Bend, they're managing the forest, they're going in and, and they're, um, they've got prescribed burns and they'll go in and they'll, and they'll do a prescribed burn and uh, so many acres and they'll burn up all the, the garbage that's on the, on the forest floor. And then, yeah, and then it, the regrowth comes back and yeah, that's a, a great way to do it. But there's no reason to let it get out of hand and burn down billions of dollars of timber yeah. just for the sake of of saying hey you know what that's what mother nature does and mm-hmm. so we're just going to do it that way mm-hmm. uh so at this time period this is like so you're born in 59 so in 69 you're 10 74 you're 15 so in this time period in pine creek were the majority of people pretty poor i mean it was just it's just a tiny little community of farmers, essentially, right? So most it, people didn't have much money. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it was it was a, a poor area. Um, the cool thing about it is we didn't know we were poor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have. We had a uh, black and white television. Had two channels. You had to get up and change the channel. <laughs> yep. Um, 
And the, the main thing that I can remember as a kid growing up be, um, was, was seeing in the wintertime was watching to see if, this, if there was more snow coming. Because um, I, I really did like the snow then. I don't care much for it now, but I, I liked it then. But the other thing was we watched, um, oh gosh, the FBI. Um, and I, I can't remember them all. The Disney's Wonderful World of, the Wonderful World of Disney. We had these shows. Bedtime was nine o'clock. Um, as far as I can remember, I'm sure it was earlier than that in my younger days. But for for most of the older days, up until I was, I don't know, probably a freshman or whatever. But be, um, bedtime was nine o'clock, and so there was these. So we would eat. Usually we had Sunday night was taco night, and then we'd sit and watch television from like seven seven thirty till nine, and we had to go to bed. And there was all these shows on Sunday night that that I'm I can't remember right now, but but they every once in a while when I see when I hear the music or I see one come on, it it's just a deja vu. It takes you right back. And it takes that. me right back yeah. to to when we were getting ready for mm-hmm. bed and mm-hmm. and yeah. The what, the thing that I'll back up that I left out about my getting my teeth knocked out and how my mom reacted was when I was a year and a half old, my older brother, we were at my grandma's house and my older brother, uh, Cliff was, I, that was back in the day when we had outhouses. Um, and, uh, we were just starting to get indoor plumbing then and would they, and they delivered milk in the, ju- in the glass bottles. Uh-huh. And I had evidently picked one up and was walking with it. And Cliff decided that I shouldn't be. And so he tried, was trying to chase me down with it. And I took off running and I fell and it, it broke. And a big chunk came up and hit me across the nose and down into my eye. And it was bleeding really bad. And I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't crying or anything. And so they threw me in the car and took me up to the, rushed me to the doctor up in Lakeview. Cause they thought maybe I had damaged my eye cause it was such a bad cut and it went so far and so deep. And mom said that every time she put the rag on me to stop the bleeding and, and the blood um, and the cold compress, I would start screaming mm-hmm. and then she'd take it off and I, I would bleed, but I would, wouldn't cry. I'd be fine. So you think she was trying to say that you had whatever that condition is where you don't feel pain or something? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> something like that. It's pretty crazy how many times you got hurt well, and in then, your life. And then when I was uh, five or six, the story that I tell, the story that I remember was that I found a pocket knife, an old rusty pocket knife behind the sink when we were moving the sink out from the, old, from the little house. She s- seems to remember it differently. So, um, but anyway, need to say I wound up with a pocket knife. And we had an old barn out behind the house, out behind the garage. And um, back in the day, the, they uh, used baling twine to bale haze. And uh, um, it, was, it was like this, the old, old twine. Mm-hmm. And thick. so you'd cut it, and then you'd cut the two, and then you'd, you'd wrap them around this, this big post that came up, and then you'd feed the cattle. And so there was all these big ra- rounds of this wrapped twine and Cliff and I were out there one day and he had a knife and I'm, his was much sharper, I'm sure, and less rusty. And he said, Hey, let's see who can cut through these strands of, and so we were whittling on them and we were pulling and he cut through first and came back and just nicked his ear. And I was pulling and I went came back and it, I ran the knife blade up my nose. And uh, luckily it was only like a three inch, two and a half inch blade, yeah. three inch blade. So, but it went pretty far up. Um, could have put, hit me in the eye. 
um, or could have stuck me in between my teeth or something. Because <laughs> those them. were when I still had my real teeth. <laughs> um, yeah, and so they had to rush me to the to the doctor then. And Jesus. same thing. She they kept kept trying to get the bleeding stop, and I I was crying. And then when they just leave me alone and let me bleed, then I was just fine. I was okay. Um, and they couldn't do anything because it was way up inside my sinuses uh-huh. in my sinus cavity or whatever. And yeah. and so they uh, they just took in gauze and just stuffed gauze, packed it full of gauze. And so I had to run around like that for, I don't know, three or four or five days and then pulled the gauze out, pulled the stuffing out. And it was like three foot of gauze. And yeah. so, and then, so that's why when I got my teeth knocked out, that was like the third. And she wasn't even phased. She's like, oh, no. here we go again. He's, he's trouble. Well, she used to tell me the story too. And it must've been Cliff because, so Grandma D was 15, right? When she had Cliff. Yes, 15 so she, and a half. 15 and a half. And so she was 18 when she had you? Something like that? Right, something like that. So she was super young. And she told me the story, and maybe you can pick up where I leave off, about at that point in time. So this would have been, this would have been uh, 58, 7, 6, 55, somewhere in there. She was driving in the pickup truck, and I believe Duke was driving, and she was holding, I imagine, baby Cliff. Yeah. And they swerved or something. That and, was before me. And he flew out the window, right? Yeah. Because there were no there were no seat belts. There were no uh, car seats. No. Nothing. And the window was open. They swerved, and he went flying out. Uh, the I don't know if the story if they rolled the truck. Um, he, I I don't believe the story is he just flew out the window. I I think the story is that they rolled the truck. Um, my dad Duke swerved. And I don't know if they were swerving a deer or swerving traffic or whatever, but I think the truck rolled and Cliff flew out and landed like 20 feet away in a barbed wire fence or something. Never got hurt. <laughs> he's like a five month old baby. Yeah, he flew out the window. He's the golden child. Oh yep. man. Yeah, yeah. She told me that one time and I was like, what? Yeah. He was the only time I remember him getting hurt is we were, he was probably, I was probably seven and he was probably 10. And um, that's when dad worked at the, the meat packing place, A and B meat packing. Well, or actually it was bonds first. And they would take, they, uh, they would kill the animal and then they would skin it. And then the, the hide that came off, they would of course save it and they would throw it down this chute and it would fall down. And then there was down below in the, in the, below the deck that you could get a tractor into underneath it um there was oh gosh tons of rock salt and and then you you would take the the um, hide and you would stretch it out lay it out all dicky and icky and you would throw the rock salt on it and cover it with rock salt and then um i that was to cure it and i don't know what they did about the flies or anything that kind of stuff maybe that maybe the salt cured it so fast i don't know about that but i remember going up one day and he was, um, we were doing the hides and he, uh, dad had got on the tractor and we were like, Hey, Hey, can we, can we ride in the bucket? And he was like, no, you don't need to ride in the bucket. And we're like, Oh, come on, please. Listen. And he was like, oh, okay, get in the bucket. So we got in the bucket and the bucket, of course he tilted down. We crawled up in it. Well, we sat like this cliff had his arm up on the edge of the bucket mm-hmm. and dad tilted the bucket back. Well, when he tilted the bucket back, the, the arms that come down mm-hmm. that hold the bucket, the bucket came up 
and one of the bars came down and Cliff got his his forearm pinched between the bucket and the and the bar and just just smush gone it was about a it's probably about the size of a nickel between a nickel and a quarter it was just perfectly round and it just it was just gone yeah and he jerked his arm and so there's just this hole and it it's one of those that doesn't bleed it's deep enough that it's to the meat yeah but it doesn't it doesn't bleed it's fatty tissue or whatever and i went oh no dad wait and cliff grabbed me and said shut shut up shut up don't say anything and i was like you're bleeding what are you gonna what, what are we gonna do your arm and he was like shut up we're gonna get we, we he didn't want to get dad in trouble for letting us ride in the bucket uh, and yeah. he didn't want to get us in trouble for you know begging to ride in the bucket and he ah oh, damn it i told you you shouldn't ride in the bucket and so cliff <laughs> didn't say anything that's the only time that i remember him getting getting he still got hurt. a scar for that doesn't he well what happened is he went into the peace corps after he graduated um he went into the peace corps and well i guess it was after he got out of of after he graduated college he went in the peace corps and uh i don't know if he got injured again or what on that same arm but he cauterized it took a butter knife that was some sort of thing that they were doing as survivalists or something in the Peace Corps. I don't know. You'd have to hear that story <laughs> yeah, from him. Yeah, we'll have to get that from he him. Cauterized, he had a knife and cauterized it. and So it's a pretty big scar now. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that one. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, so that, I mean, for whatever reason, that was just kind of the story, story of your life, right? Every, every situation. Every, every so often I had to get hurt just to get attention. Uh-huh. Yeah, the the other one was uh, so you you started working after you were mowing the lawns. You you made the twelve hundred fifty dollars to buy the the Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Soon after that, you started working uh, at the gas station. I started working at the gas station. Cliff was already working at the gas station, and so I would ride up with him. And this um, is in Lakeview, right? This is in Lakeview. I would ride up with him and work with him every once in a while. But then once I got my license. Then I was driving up and I was working at, at Cal's Exxon in Lakeview. And that's where, yeah, and then I started earning some big time money there. What was minimum wage then? Do you remember? I don't remember what minimum wage was, but I think, I think was, I, he was paying me to start out with $1.75 an hour. So you worked there for about three years. And in that time period, you, you must have had a bunch of different people that, I mean, the, the people that work at gas stations are like high school kids or older people who, couldn't find a different job. High school kids. High school kids. High only? school kids. Yeah. Yeah. And so what what was the story about uh your friend in the the glass? Oh, um, so the owner, Cal um Newman, he his son Steve worked there too. And Steve was a year older than I was. And we would it started, it used to be busy enough that two people, in fact, when it, when my brother, when Cliff was working, it was busy enough that they sometimes had three, maybe sometimes four guys working. Excuse me, because they did lube oil and filters, um, and they and they did you know when they did a lube oil and filter, they cleaned the car out and everything. So actually, at one time, I think he employed four people. Four people worked at a time, and then slowly but surely, things kind of dropped off a little bit, and then pretty soon it was just two people working, and then then finally it became one person could work. You got sometimes you got super busy, one person at a time for an eight hour shift. Yeah. Wow. And so there was, uh, so Steve and I had contests. I mean, it was, it was kind of a, a, a competitive thing um, to see how many gallons of gas you pumped in a day. 
And when on the cash register, there was letters of who rang the charges up. So, so if you rang up a, a sale, Cal, Cal, the owner, could look at it and see, oh, that was, who's, that was whose sale and what. And in case there was any discrepancies or problems or anything, they could find out who it was. So my letter was C. Steve's letter was X. So I'm working one Sunday and I'm on a record pace. I'm cooking along and I've got a tape a mile long of all C's and I want to keep it that way. And lo and behold, Steve shows up to get a quart of oil or something and he comes in to ring it up. And I don't want an X on my ticker tape of C's. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'll get it. He's like, no, I'll ring it up. And I go, no, I'll ring it up. So we got in a not a distant argument, not, not mean or anything like that, just a competitive argument. I wasn't going to let him put an X on my C's. And I was like, no, you're not going to screw up my tape. I'm going to do it. And so we got in a push and match and I, he was a little guy, but he was, he was a good wrestler. He was a really, really good wrestler. And I, and I kind of picked, kind of shoved him a little bit out of the way and got in and, and the windows, there was windows on all on the, the two corners mm-hmm. and big, thick plate glass windows. And they were probably Oh, probably three feet by three feet by six feet, maybe. Um, they were huge. And the only thing in between them was just steel. Uh, and uh, so then he pushes me back and, and there's the office chairs right there and we're pretty pl- close to the glass. So I take one more try at him and I get a hold of him. I get him in a bear hug and I move him and I kind of sling him towards the pot machine. And as he kind of loses his balance, I start over. Well, as I get over there, he shoves me and I lose my balance and I land in the chair and then I fall backwards and I go through the glass and it breaks, of course, and I fall backwards. Uh-huh. And he's, he, he's like, oh my God. And he grabs me. And as he grabs me, shards are coming down and a couple of them hit me in the face. And then one great big one came down, but he, he got me out of the way fast enough uh-huh. in this big thing. Otherwise it would have been a guillotine. Yeah. It would have sliced me yeah. in half. So he gets me out and he's like, oh my God. And so my face is bleeding. And uh, I said, ah, I think something's wrong with my back. And he lifts my shirt up and I got a, a chunk, oh, about three, between three and four inches and about an inch, inch and a half wide uh-huh. that's, that's gone. Would we, and so we're looking all over and, it, and it's one of those like cliffs. It's into the fatty stuff. It's deep. And so it, it's not bleeding. And, and he's looking at it. He's going, oh my God, we got to do something. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to, he goes, well, there's gotta be a piece of meat here somewhere. Cause you're missing a big <laughs> chunk of meat. So anyway, they get me to the hospital and there's the little town of Lakeview. There's no doctor on call. Yeah, and uh, or, I mean, there's night? no doctor there. No, it's during the day. It's like day. on a Sunday, I yeah. think there's no doctor there. So they got to call Dr. Streeby in. So, and so that takes a half an hour for Streeby to get there. So I'm laying on the table and by this time it's starting to hurt. And I'm like, yeah, you, you guys got something for the pain here because this is kind of hurting me pretty bad. And they're like, well, no, we can't give anything until the doctor gets here. And so I'm, I'm laying there for like 15, 20 minutes. Well, pretty soon it dawns on me that something is leaking. And I look down off the table and I've got a pretty good pool of blood now. It's finally starting to bleed. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and then that, of course, starts playing with my head. You know, oh, I'm going to lay here and bleed to death. Um, and I'm like, Hey, I got a lot of pain. I'm, I'm losing a lot of blood here. And, and they're like, <laughs> the doctor will be here pretty soon. Just hang on. You're not going to bleed to death. And this is in the waiting room. No, this was, they this got me on a table. Okay, okay. They got me on a table and I'm just laying there bleeding. So then finally Struby gets there and, and, uh, 
he looks at it and he goes, okay, where's, where's the chunk that came out? And, and by that time, Steve, I think as the story goes, I'm not positive, but as the story goes, I think Steve went back because he had to go, he had to work. He had to take my shift and put X's on it, on my ticker tape. <laughs> Damn him. Yeah. So he went back to work and then I, I don't know if he called or what, but he said, there's, there's no meat here. There's no chunk of hide. So he had to stitch up this, this gap. And uh, to this day, if you take and run your finger along my back by that scar, I can feel it here. And if you keep moving, then I can feel it here. It just picks up where it left yeah, off. It just, yeah. Because they, they just stretch the skin? They just stretched it open. Huh. So. And so what did Cal say when, when he... He was not was he very happy. Oh, he was very, very unhappy. Well, first off, to have the... He had to go through the trouble of boarding it up for, the, yeah. for a couple of nights. And then the chunk of glass was probably, back in those days, was probably a couple hundred bucks. Uh -huh. um, and then he had... And then I, I'm sure we had workman's, yeah, workman's comp on me mm -hmm. or something because I don't, I don't remember paying for anything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Steve, Steve got in a lot of trouble for it. And it's like, ah, it's okay, I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. We had a lot of fun. This was, this was in high school then. <clears throat> yeah, I was a senior. Yeah, yeah. And so then you finish up school and when when did you start uh when did you start playing drums in in the band the, was that well, directly after so back up um i had i bought the drum set in the 5th or 6th grade and i'm storing it at the state line high at the state line school they i've got it in the office and everybody's okayed with it well during the summer uh uh for i don't know how many years i contracted and and got the job of mowing the school lawn it was huge and i had a ride mower and i think at that time i was getting a dollar 50 an hour or something like that so so i was making some pretty lucrative big bucks big bucks right then um and uh so when i was done at any time i wanted to i had a key to this to the school and so at any time day or night i could go in and play the drums and i would go up on the weekends well during the summer i'd go and 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 play anytime I wanted and have a you know a good time. So one day I'm going up to play the drums and I go walking do, 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 and I unlock the door of the the, fir the first front door to go in. I unlock it, big door, and there's the little side windows that are full of of steel mesh mm -hmm. and I'm unlock that and then alongside of it is the bigger window and I unlock the door do, 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 and I walk in do, 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 and I open up the office door right to the right i unlock it because it was always kept locked i opened it up walked in and back in the day we used to get a if you brought if you took your report card home and you and you had a sign and you brought it back the very next day because they needed it back you got a piece of candy or a piece of gum mm -hmm. if you didn't bring it back that day you were in trouble and you darn well better get it back in the next few days but you didn't get a piece of candy or a piece of bubble gum and that was kept in the bottom drawer of the filing cabinet and I walked in and I thought, oh, you know what? I did bring my report card back, you know, last year. I think I'll just help myself to a piece of bubble gum. <laughs> and so I open up the drawer and I get out a piece of gum and I close the drawer. And then my brain clicks in and I'm like, I'm standing in glass. And I look down and the window shattered. And then I step back and the window was shattered from the front door. I'd walk through the glass and wasn't even, I guess the piece of bubble gum was on my mind. And I looked over and my drum set's gone. 
And I'm like, oh man. So I run home, we call the police, they get down there, <clears throat> big, huge, they come to find out whoever had broken in, went on a rampage, sprayed, just tore things up, sprayed the fire extinguishers all over the place, tore the hell out of, out of the, everything, you know, cut the walls up and stuff, did a, a, a huge bunch of damage to the school, but they took my drum set. Uh-huh. The community felt so bad for me because I'd spent my money and the drum set was eight. The, the drum set I paid for myself and it was like 850 bucks for a five piece drum set and the cymbals and everything. Um, the, the community got together and felt so bad that they decided to give me a pancake feed and they took donations. And this, I think I want to say Clem Mulkey. I don't know. Anyway, she's super nice lady. She's the one that put it on. They put it on her house and they collected 700, almost $800. And so they gave it to me and I had saved up a little bit more money because by this time the drum set's more. So I spent about a thousand dollars and got another drum set exactly like the last one. It was red metal flake pearl, five piece. I bought that brand new, put the cymbals with it and everything, got it all set up, set it up in the school, started playing again. And about, excuse me again, and about eight months, nine months, a year, I don't remember. Lo and behold, down in Willow Ranch, five miles away, and I don't know if I should use their name. I guess I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. <laughs> Two brothers on a stealing rampage. Uh, they had a pile of stuff. They had been. They, they stole it and they never sold it? No, they, were, they took and peeled all of the red metal flake off, off of all the drums. Uh, the, the, of course, the snare was just chrome. They peeled all of the metal, all of the, the uh, metallic red metal flake off, and it was just wood. Because somebody could have recognized it? Yes. It was that rare? Yeah. yeah. And then there was three symbols. I had my hi-hat, my, hi, my two hi-hats, and then I had two other symbols. Um, and so they notified me and said, hey, we think we found your stuff, along with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And they said, can you come down and... Is there any way that you think that you could recognize it? And I said, absolutely. They said, well, how do you think, you have to tell us how you think you could recognize it. And I said, okay, I I can do that. So when we get down there, they open it up and here's this, and I I look at it and I go, I I have no idea that my drum set was Red Metal Flake and Mm -hmm. it's a pearl. But I said, I can tell you this, I recognize the, the drum beat where the drum was hitting on the front and the marks and stuff, I recognize that. And then I my... I had a 16-inch crash, Zildjian cymbal, and I had a big old gnarly scratch in it from something. I said, I can guarantee you that's mine. They said, okay, do you think that you can testify in court to, to this? And I said, well, yeah, if I have to. And they said, yeah, you might have to. So trial shit comes. They call me to, to the deal, and I got a, I'm just a young kid. Um, you had to I, testify against the two guys that stole it? Uh-huh, the two brothers. Um, and they were sitting there. So I'm standing, I'm up in the box looking at them. And they're like, yeah, yeah. they're like, dude, you're going to no. know. They were just sitting there looking at me. And uh, I said, yeah, I can. And they said, well, can you tell us how you know this is your set? And so I pointed out all the things. And finally the judge was like, yeah, you know what? He's done. You know, it, it's yeah, boom, boom. So they got me off the stand um, and I was terrified. Um, and then everything got all done. And they said, okay, your drum set is... They, they said that, you know, it's your drum set. You can pick it up, what's left of it. And the boys wanted to me 
to tell you they're very sorry that they stole your drum set. They from thought a, it was a school. From a 10-year-old kid. Yep. Yeah. And they said that that no one else claimed anything. There was there was more drums and more cymbals. And they said that if you want all the rest of that stuff along with yours. So I had this massive drum set. Then I had another five-piece at home. And so what I did was I took and painted the 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 drums. I painted them black. And then I took and sanded them. So the black was just in the veins of the maple. And then I varnished it. And then I put those two pieces together, those two sets together. I made a 10-piece set. And then I had like three other drums and like four other cymbals. And so I had this massive, <laughs> and that's where I learned to play double bass. Yeah. And so I'd set that up and I had it all set up in the garage. And I, I'd go out, I'd play for three or four or five hours a And Dee was fine with that? Yeah, she and she never did complain. I had the five piece set up in our little bitty. You've seen the little bitty room that we had at the house. See, I always thought you played it at, at the school. I didn't realize you played it at the house. No, I had it at the house. I had the I had a five piece drum set set up in the corner over there, and it was a it was tight. But you could have to, you'd have to walk around it. I'm sure Cliff enjoyed it. Um, but then I had to put it out in the garage. And then when I had both those sets plus the extra drums and cymbals, then I set the set them up and across down. Um, Okay, so if you go down the street and then you go to the to Highway 395, like you're going to come to Lakeview, then as you're sitting there and you can go right to Lakeview, right across the street was Kay's um, Texaco. Mm -hmm. That's where we caught the bus to go to high school. They would sit, yeah, and that's four blocks, five blocks from our house. They would sit there and drink their iced tea in the evening and listen to me play. And they <laughs> they would just sit out there and listen to me. and yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. I, I, that's, that was a, it was a good drum set mm -hmm. after I got all that stuff together. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I mean, it, it's kind of like you said about the teeth, my getting my teeth knocked out and I became a drummer. Getting my drum set stolen turned out to be so, something good for me because yeah. I learned to play double bass, uh -huh. double sets. And, and so I can kind of, kind of basically ambidextrous uh -huh. on, on, with both of them. So you got pretty good then after that, like during high school years? Well, no, uh, no, because I, st I, um, I played in the jazz band. And then what you were referring to a little bit ago is I sold all that stuff. And then um, I lived in Lakeview and I was working one day part time at the gas station at this little gas station right across from Cal's. And uh, I knew this guy that was in a band and he came in one day and he said, hey, I, somebody told me you play the drums. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we have a band and our drummer is sick. And or something happened to him, and we want to know if you can play. And I said, "Well, I don't have a drum set right now." And they said, "Okay, well, that's kind of a problem." And I said, "Well, let me see. <laughs> that's kind uh, of a problem. Let me let me see what because <laughs> they they I guess they were on the outs with the drummer. I don't know. Anyway, that it wasn't the option wasn't there to to play his set. To use his, yeah. So um, at that point in time, we jumped in the car and I drove to Klamath Falls and bought a uh, about an eight piece set. That day, you're like, I'm in a band now. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to get I, I wanted a drum set anyway. Yeah. And so I bought this eight-piece drum set, brought it back, and showed up. I said, so when's the practice? And they said, you got drums? And I said, yeah. And so I showed up. And, and, uh, and I, at that time, I was working a lot of odd jobs. And I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was living pretty inexpensively. And so I, I managed to save, to save quite a bit of money at that time. And, uh, so I started playing, I played that, we played that weekend Then I played the next weekend 
with them and we were making $50 a night. I was getting paid 50, 50 bucks a night to play, but I was only 18 and a half, 19. Uh-huh. So, and we were playing in the bars. And what were you guys playing? Covers? Um, oh, we were rocking. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just, um, uh, just the eighties stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and, 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 and something will pop in my head in a minute, but, um, Nights in White Satin, uh-huh. you know, those, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and we played rock and roll, but we played and we didn't, I told them, Hey, I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not doing country. And we called not it doing co- any free bird, man. We, co- we, the, we called it country and Western back then. Now they just call it country. But yeah. I said, Hey, I, I don't care much for country and Western, that boom, chuck, boom, chuck stuff. Uh, oh, know. it was probably huge in, in Lakeview in yeah, the early eighties. Yeah. And I, yeah, I said, no, but there was enough stuff, you know, cheap, cheap trick had some, some, you know, things like that. We played um, a couple of, oh, we played uh, Nick, I, I sang Nick Gilder, Hot Child in the City. So I was doing some scene too. While you were playing drums? Yeah. And uh, um, if, if I would have just had a good voice, it would have worked out perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but I sucked. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, what would happen is at break time, because I was underage, I had to leave. Legally, I could be in as an employee yeah but i couldn't stay in there i could come in when the set started i would have to leave so i would go out and sit on the curb and the other boys they'd be in there they'd be there drinking drinking it up or out smoking pot out back or whatever and i'm sitting out on the curb and people come out hey man dude i I like your drumming and stuff like that and i was like yeah cool so that lasted for a couple of weekends and then um i thought i thought the gig was done and and uh, the the lead singer came over and said, "Hey, um, you interested in doing this?" And I said, "Yeah, but what about so and so?" And they said, "Now nah, we booted him." I go, "Oh, that's great!" <laughs> and they said, "Yeah, we we like you better and you play better." And I was like, "Okay." And and uh, so we started playing at that time, and I just kept I kept having to leave. And we played, I don't know, uh, two or three different bars, and then. I got, because I said I was making decent money and I was saving money, we had crap for, I wanted to do more things. I mean, I, I had, you know, I had this you vision. Had ambition. I had a vision. I had ambition. And so I went to about three or four months later, five months later, I went to back to Climate Falls and I bought these, this PV, um, PA yeah. system. Yeah? yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was, they were. They were this high and this wide and about that thick. It was mm-hmm. huge. Mm-hmm. It was massive. And I mean, it would blow, it would blast. And then I bought, uh, I remember this day, Sure, S-H-U-R-E, mm-hmm. SM57s. Yeah, those are still very common. Yep. So yeah. I had those and then, and I had the stand. So I had mine set up, but boom. And, uh, and the guys were just like, oh, wow, this is so cool, dude. And so we played. Well, then it was kind of starting to wear on me a little bit that nobody wanted, nobody else had any ambition. Mm-hmm. You know, the lead singer, bless his heart, he'd show up, you know, just after changing the oil in his truck, he'd have a white t-shirt with holes in it and, <laughs> and 90 weight or uh, 1040 oil on it. Yeah. And he'd come in smoking a cigarette and he'd stand up there, damn, 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 damn. And he'd tune his guitar for five, six, seven minutes. And then we'd play for a little while and then we'd take a break for 20 and then we'd come back and then he'd tune his guitar again for 10 minutes yeah and so finally one day we had a a meeting we'd practiced and we sat down and i said hey guys um 
I, I don't know about you guys, but I said, I, I don't want to play in a bar. I mean, we could do dances. We could do stuff like that. We could get better. And, and, and we could, I mean, I wasn't talking about, you know, going to the, the Polydian downtown Los Angeles, yeah. you know, yeah. but I was talking about doing dances and stuff like that. And I said, I'm actually looking at a, and at that time it was, it's still called it, but it was, it's old school octoplus, the Ludwig octoplus double sets. You know what I'm talking about? That that's the name of the entire set, like yeah. a five piece. No, no, no. It's 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 eight. No, it's double bass. It's 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 actually two sets. It's got two bass drums. It's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight oh. toms, and then you could add more to it. And I had added two more, and I showed them. I said, "This is what I want to do." And they're they're looking at it and they're going, "You, we can't even fit the PA system and the drum set <laughs> you have on on the stage." And yeah. I said. I know that's the point. I don't want to play on these little bitty dinky stages in yeah. the in the bars anymore. And you know, the drunk guys coming over, hey, you guys, can you guys play Leonard Skinner? You know, and yeah. they're throwing up all over the place and banging into the the microphones and stuff. And I was like, I I want to do something. They were like, Well, you know, we this is kind of where we're at right now. And so I think we played, I don't know, I probably paid and played another four or five months. And then I said, Hey guys, I'm I don't want to do this anymore. This yeah. the the smoke was killing me and the, they're, you know, it was just a big drink, drinking fest and a drug fest for those guys. And nobody yeah. wanted to, um, and I, and I, I'll tell you something that's embarrassing, but I'll tell you, cause you're, I can't leave it out of story. I bought a, uh, I guess I, for lack of better terms, an Elvis Presley jumpsuit. It sounds pretty awesome. It was orange. And I had this, this orange multicolored shirt that I wore. <laughs> And I showed up in this jumpsuit <laughs> and, uh, I don't even, I don't know if I got a picture of it, but if you saw it, you'd crap. Um, and then were they just like, what? Yeah. Everybody was just like, dude, what, what are we, what are you doing? You're on the Johnny Carson show. And, and like I said, my, the lead singer would show up and he just changed the oil in his truck. He mm -hmm. just literally got off the asphalt mm -hmm. out from underneath his truck, jumped in, grabbed his guitar, jumped in the truck and drove down. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, man, you guys are killing me. And so I don't know. I guess I was it had to end. Do you do you remember what you guys called yourselves? What what the band name was? Mm -hmm. No. Did it change or was it always the same thing? It was always the same thing. Yeah. Our bass, our bass player, he wasn't very good. He him and our and the and the lead guitarist, lead singer, they were the two that put the band together. Um, and then we found uh and then the bass player, he just he wasn't into doing anything but but dr drugs and alcohol and he wasn't interested in getting better yeah. or playing better i mean when you when you're playing the, the, a song and something gets screwed up in it then the next time you guys get ready to practice you should be going over that song going yeah. okay what happened you know somebody missed the count there he was like oh it's no big deal we'll just we'll miss it again next time you know it didn't matter to him so we we canned him and oh, that broke his heart. He's like, oh, you know, it's like what you see on, well, oh, the rock, the rock star or what, what the, With Mark the Wahlberg? Yeah. Yeah. When, when they throw him out of the band and he freaks out. Yeah. Oh yeah. This guy was kicking stuff around and, and you guys are going to be sorry. You, you know, <laughs> this band's going to go under. You guys will never, you won't make it without me. And he was doing the same thing that Mark Wahlberg was yeah, doing. Yeah. We're like, yeah, yeah. We're, okay. well, we're sorry. You know what? We, you're, we're probably not going to make it, but we're going to try without you. And we did better after that. And actually the next guy we picked up played the bass and he played keyboards. Nice. Yeah. And he was really, really talented. Um, 
and uh, and he kind of had he kind of had the same idea that I did. Uh-huh. Um, and then, like I said, it just kind of fizzled out, and we had nobody. I couldn't sing for God's sakes. Well, and, yeah, it must have and, been insanely hard to find talented people in that small of a town. Oh yeah, like, but we could have. I mean, at that time, like most bands, if we just would have went out and looked to find somebody who could sing, mm-hmm. it would have been fantastic. Yeah. And we could have, and we could have done things. There is a, um, I don't think you're aware of this. There is a band that came out of Lakeview. Really? Yeah. And they were, they were awesome. I remember them as a kid. Their name was Brew. And I'll give a shout out to Cleve Brock. E-R-E-W? B-R-E-W, Brew. Their, 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 the vehicle that they had all their equipment and everything was a hearse. <laughs> 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 and um, you know where Alger's Theater is? The only theater in Lakeview? The only theater in Lakeview. Uh-huh. Okay, right across the street from that. And Dairy Queen. No, 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 no. Or Burger Queen. Okay. Just side, side, go across the street, right across the street from the Algiers. Algiers, Algiers is here, and then Dairy Queen is there, just straight across. And I can't remember what the building's called. Mem- the Memorial? The Memorial something or something like that. Anyway, the doors opened up, and you went down into the kind of the basement area. That's where they played. And I, and I remember going to a, a couple of dances there. Brew, B-R-E-W. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, you, dude, they were, they were awesome. And you, Yeah, and so you, you would go see them and be like, this is, this is where it's oh, at. Oh, man, they were, like, they were like rock stars. Was their drummer good? You could have you nudged him honestly, out. Honestly, I don't remember that drummer. But I, I just remember them. Um, it was kind of, it's, it's kind of weird looking back at it because I remember them being really popular. Uh-huh. Um, and they, and I don't know, they, they didn't go on to do anything major, but they did stay friends and they did stay together. But yeah, it was a big deal. Brew. Hmm. Yeah. You'll have to look it up when we get yeah, off. Yeah, I will. That's funny. Cleve Brock. So then after that, you, uh, you're kind of like, this isn't happening. I gotta, I gotta figure something out. And so then you, you started getting serious about, uh, I mean, you were, you did carpentry for a while. Did carpentry for a while, but, but well, I'll back up for just a second and tell you that. Cleve Brock of Brew had a younger sister named Carol. They uh-huh. lived up just up three or four houses up the street from my aunt and uncle, Bart and Donna. Uh-huh. And we would, when we were kids, we'd come up and visit Bart and Donna and mom and dad would go to Safeway and do the shopping and whatever they needed. We always came up on Saturdays to do that. So one Saturday, I must've been about six, five, six, seven. Tina, my cousin was Carol's best friend mm-hmm. and they happened to be up there and we went to their house for some reason, their mom and dad were gone. And the they, we had toast in the toaster and it, it was, we were getting ready to eat and it popped, but the toast didn't come up. And so we pushed it back down again and I put a knife in it to get it out. <laughs> How'd that blew, work out? Blew the fuse box, <laughs> blew the, knocked the, the knife out of my hand. Um, but, and then that other, the electricity that just reminded me of another story of me, Cliff and I had walkie talkies. And they were the great big, huge style, you know, and I must've been six, five, six, Cliff was eight or nine. And we'd Roger over. Do you read me? Yep. Roger, kind of like you and your brother Roger, yeah, yeah. out, but they were big. I mean, nice walkie talkies. Uh-huh. And Cliff had headed out over in the field and I was in the house and I was like, uh, Roger, can you hear me? <laughs> Cliff, can you hear me over? <laughs> I was like, he's too far. And I just happened to look up for some reason and noticed that the light socket above in our, in our, in the little house, in the hallway, it didn't have a light bulb in it. 
And I thought if I could just get a little more power to my walkie-talkie, <laughs> I could reach Cliff in the field. Yeah. And I put my antenna up in that thing, and my, <laughs> and my walkie-talkie disintegrated in my hand. <laughs> it just exploded and didn't hurt me, but mom and dad were pretty mad. But anyway, okay, so go ahead. That was just another story. Uh, yeah. I, I did, yeah, I messed up a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of stuff. What'd you do this time? Mm-hmm. No, what I was going to say is that um, I think that's a common thread in people in like their late teens or early 20s they 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 go for something and if it doesn't quite work out or they can't get people around them to like put in the same effort then they're like hey i gotta figure gotta figure out what i'm gonna do with my life and so i mean that was that was right around the time where you started working at schwab's right well so uh i when i uh was working at cal's when i got done with cal's um, I was 18 and there was some building going on and I had a good friend said, Hey, you ought to build with us. Um, and I said, well, I'm looking for a job. And I, uh, an, a guy named Archie Osborne, the most wonderful boss in the whole world. It taught me so much about being a boss. Um, and not a boss, but, but a human being, a managing human being. He hired me and his son worked for him and his name was Archie B. So it was Archie C and Archie B. And so I started working with him. And Archie B, the, the, his boy, he kind of had a problem with me to begin with because they hired me for the sole purpose of running a jackhammer. <laughs> <laughs> and we would go down early in the morning at like 6.30 and we would pick up from the, from the cement place, we'd pick up this old piece of junk tractor um, that had a compressor that we were using for a compressor. And I would drive it all the way from, from out of town into town, freezing ass cold. I'd be all bundled up. And the, the tractor, after you get to go in ways, it would just start vibrating, and I mean, violently. And mm -hmm. so I'd have to stop, pull over the side of the road and stop. And then I could pull back out and get it going again. And I, it, yeah, I had to do, I don't know how many stops to get there. So we get to the job site, we go inside, um, and they've got this all mapped out on the floor. So I start jackhammering the concrete so we can run pipes and stuff through it. That's what they basically hired me for. In the meantime, there was some, there was a door at the end of the hallway that the handle was messed up on. And every time I'd go to go out it, it was screwing up. And so I could see that it looked like it was the screw was out or in or something. And I remember looking around and I couldn't find a, couldn't find a screwdriver, but I found Archie B's chisel <laughs> and his nice razor sharp chisel. And I remember trying to moved it to, to tighten the screw or something like that and it snapped a big chunk of his his <laughs> razor sharp chisel he was so mad but um i started uh with them and then uh, um i will say this while i was working with them i'd been there about a year about a year and we were building a house and we had it framed and um the roof was on and we were they were just uh, we had the, we, we had some, some of the windows were on order and showed up, but I don't think we had any of the windows in. Um, and we had, but we had the, sh the sheathing on the outside, the plywood and everything up. And the lumber truck showed up, great big semi flatbed showed up and it was, there was, uh, it was wintertime. And so there was like a, a inch, inch and a half of snow out and they pulled in and they had a, a massive load of sheetrock for us. And we were getting ready to rock the place and it was lunchtime and, and, and so Archie says, hey, let's take a break. And so the, the two guys that came out with the lumber truck, they all came in. We all knew each other and we sat around and ate lunch. And when we were done with lunch, we were getting ready to go. And 
Archie B, the boss, says, hey, you can drive that truck. And I was like, of course I can. I've got a CD. <laughs> CD. No, I didn't have CDL. Um, I go, yeah. So I get in it and I start backing up. Well, and it was kind of up to the house. And there was a great big, it was at the corner. And on one side was a was the huge sliding glass doors. And then the other side was a huge picture window. And that's where we were going to come through with the sheetrock. So I'm, I'm backing up. And as I'm coming in, there's a dip and then it comes back up. And I, I'm spinning in the snow. It's slick. And I, and, he, and they're like, no, you know, so I come back and I take another run at it. Well, on the third run, they're like, they're like, come on, come on, come on. And I get a good run at it. And as I come up, I didn't get on the brakes quick enough. And I put the back of that truck about a foot and a half into the corner of that house. <laughs> wiped out. I mean, oh my God. Wiped out the, 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 I mean, the two by fours and all that stuff. And the, and the, I mean, all the, everything, all the framing, yeah. all the framing just, just smushed it in, a, a foot and a half in. And, and Archie's there and they're all waving me back, back. <laughs> and he goes, that's far enough. And I got out and I looked at how much. I mean, we had to tear that the corner of it. Oh out. yeah, um, all the studs were bro- were snapped, broken. You couldn't yeah. just push it back and and try to put a screw in it or a nail. And I went. I was pretty young, and I and I'd only been working there a short time, and I just assumed that I was fired for being so stupid. Yeah. And so I walked in, and everybody was around scratching their head. God dang, man! No, Jesus, what are we going to do? And they're all trying to figure out how many two by fours are going to have to come out and what we're going to have to do. And we're, we, we might have to jack the corner of the house up, you know, cause I did so much damage. So I went in the other room and started packing up my tools and my, I had my, my pouch, my tool pouch, and I started packing up my stuff and Archie comes in and he goes, he says, what, what, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm packing my stuff up. And he goes, well, what the hell for? And I said, well, I go, I'm fired. Aren't I? And he goes, hell no, you're not fired. We need help fixing the corner of the goddamn house. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I'm not, I'm not fired. And he goes, no, you're not fired. People make mistakes. Let's go. And that was a pivotal, pivotal moment in my life that changed my attitude towards people in business. And, and I, I think that that is what helped me if, if I was successful at all. In, in with Les Schwab, that that moment right then was why was why I was I had any success at all in Les Schwab because you could forgive. We, it's just it, people make mistakes, mm-hmm. you know. And, and most people would have just you know I would have got out of the truck and they would have said, "Get your crap and get your butt out of here before I put my foot in," you know. And he wasn't. He was hunting me down, to find out why I wasn't in helping him. And he was like, "Hell no, you're not fired." So yeah, that was that was an unbelievable moment in my life. And I think that helped me. I know that that helped me later on in life, but anyway, back to the story. So, uh, we, um, I, I worked with them, but as I was working with them, um, I was doing other stuff. And at that time I thought, Hey, this is 1980 ish. I thought, you know what? It, I need to get a state contractor license. That'd be cool if I had a state contractor license. And back then it took, it took money to get your, your, your license and your bonding, your surety bond. And I mean, that was it. You just kind of put in for it and they give it to you. Yeah. You didn't have to take a test or anything like that. Now, now they've got this massive test you have to take and it's very difficult. I had to do a lot of studying to get it, but I, I got it again a couple of years ago. But um, at that time it was nothing. So I got my, my, I got licensed and bonded and, and I got my state contractor's license. 
So I was working with them and then I decided they, they um, were running out of stuff for me to do. And so I got with the, a friend of mine and, or actually a couple of friends of mine. And we, a friend of mine, his father had a partner and they went in together on this subdivision in Lakeview. And they had, we had, I believe it was 42 or 44, 45 houses to build in this subdivision. And they got the bid, they got the contract. They came in, they did all the infrastructure, put the roads in, these gorgeous, beautiful curbs, the little sloped curbs. Mm -hmm. And I mean, nowhere in Lakeview had these curbs. They had this, they had the pavers come in, they they ran all the water lines and everything, all the infrastructure done. And we started building. And we built four houses and then the bottom fell out of it. So, uh, and then, I mean, the bottom was falling out of Lakeview, most everything. Um, the town was starting to dry up and things just had gone to heck. Was that across the whole country or was it just in Lakeview? Because mm. there was a recession in 82-ish, right? Wasn't yeah, there? I, I don't know if it was across the country. I was too young and, and naive and, and, and selfish, not, I mean, not knowing things going on around me. I was yeah. just into my own little world. Um, but uh, yeah, and so I decided that I better find some other stuff. So I, I got a job um, working out at a sawmill in Silver Lake which Silver Lake's 95 miles from New Pine or from Lakeview. Mm-hmm. And um, the guy I went to work for had a little single wide trailer out there. And so he put me up in it and I was, and what I was doing was I was doing carpentry work for the mill, the lumber mill that was out there in Silver Lake. And they weren't cutting much lumber, but they needed things done and they needed shacks built and stuff like that and maintenance and stuff like that. So I, I was working there, but I had heard that there was a, a job opening at Les Schwab. Excuse me. And, I thought to myself, what, what are the two things or what, what's going to be around forever? I mean, basically forever food, food and cars, food and cars. Mm-hmm. And so I said, so in the little town of Lakeview, food was Safeway and dad had already worked at Safeway and I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do at Safeway, but Les Schwab, I, I knew that there was some, some opportunities to, to supposedly become a manager and get your own store that less was going to less promised to do that. Yeah. Cause it was a different company back then. Yeah. And so I was like, that could be cool. So I started, uh, um, putting in for it. They had an opening. I didn't get that one. So I kept putting my name in. Then they had another opening. I kept putting my name in. Um, and I mean, I was calling them literally every day and they finally hired another guy and I was like, gosh, dang it. Come on, guys. And that guy was friends with the manager. The manager hired him. And the day that he, the morning that he was supposed to go to work, he called and said, hey, I changed my mind. I'm sorry. I appreciate it. But I'm going to stay where I'm at. And the manager was so mad that he told his assistant manager, who was Dan Dollarhide at that time, mm-hmm. he said, to hell with this. He said, go just hire somebody. And he left. He was so mad. He just took off. And I had been calling almost every day, talking to Dan, saying, hey, have you, you guys got a job opening? And he'd say, you know what? I didn't have one yesterday. I didn't have one the day before, the week before, the week before. Stop calling me. It stopped calling. It went, and when something comes up, I'll let you know. And I called that morning after the manager had left. And I said, hey, got anything open? And he was going, yeah, for God's sakes, <laughs> come in. And I said, are you, are you retarded or something? And he goes, he says, yes, come in. I got a job for you. So I loaded up my tools and, and I gave the guy, uh, and at that time, I don't think I gave him two weeks notice, but I don't think he cared. 
And I jumped in there and I went to work for Les Schwab in, in 19, in May 1st, 1981. May 1st, 1981. Yep. And so you knew at that point too, that you, you were looking at it in it for the, the long haul. You had ambition at that point to try to go as high up as you could. Well, the, it just, it was, it was, it was an opportunity. And, and that's what everybody said. Les Schwab said, Hey, if you go to work for me, if you're, if you're honest, and you take care of my customers, you take care of employees, don't cheat me, don't cheat customers, okay? Be loyal. I will build you a store and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. I will build you a store and you will operate it and we'll, and we'll be partners. And I was like, who, who does that? Yeah. No, I mean, nobody does that. And, I, and at first I couldn't believe it. And so um, I went to work and I started seeing the manager and the opportunities that he had and the money that he was making. And I was like, that's all, that's what I've always wanted to do was be my own boss. I didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't want to answer to anybody. And so uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that's what I do. So uh, we were in Lakeview. That's where I met your mom and we got married and we were in Lakeview for um, just sales and service there. And then your mom, uh, we had you, and we had Callahan, and then I, and then uh, Dan Dollarhide got promoted to assistant manager, or I'm sorry, to he he got promoted earlier than that, and he went to be an assistant manager. And then a couple of years later, he got promoted as manager in OMAC, Washington. And his assistant manager only lasted about five months, and he quit and went back to the store that he was from. And so Dan needed an assistant manager. And I put my name in and he was like, well, yeah, you guys need to come up and take a look. And I said, I, I, I know you, I want to work for you. And, and he was like, no, you need to come up and look at the area. And I was like, okay, if that's what you need. So your mom at that time, it was, it was such a long distance. It was 610 miles to OMAC from Lakeview. So it was, it was a, it was a 12 hour drive mm-hmm. straight through and your mom both of us had decided that, I mean, I was going to take the job no matter what. It didn't matter. I didn't need to go up there, but I went ahead. I drove up. I worked that night, went in the next day, worked all day that day, and then left that night and drove home and then waited a couple of days. And he said, yeah, okay, get up here and be my system manager. So your mom and I packed up everything, you guys, and drove to OMAC. Um, and it was essentially a Washington version of Lakeview, right? It's basically um, the same size. Yeah, basically the same size. O- OMAC, and then just almost, I mean, like two miles, three miles away was Okanagan. And OMAC, I think, was like 4,000 population, and then Okanagan was like 200. So that area right there was kind of about 6,000, 7,000. Uh-huh. And there was, there was some competition. It was a brand new store, and so there was a lot of hours that we had, that we had to work. We had, there was only Dan, I, a, uh, one other sales and service, an alignment guy, and then a, uh, um, a sales and admin lady. And so, I mean, we did most of the service calls, anything that was late at night. We didn't have, we didn't have, we couldn't afford to pay anybody. So we did it ourselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of hours. Then from there, we were there for a year and a half. And then I got promoted as the first assistant to Hermiston. And so at that time, I believe your mom was pregnant with Rudy. Mm-hmm. And so we moved to Hermiston and then, and Rudy was born in Hermiston. And we were in Hermiston for exactly two years, almost to the day. And then I got promoted to manager in the Dallas. And then we were in the Dallas for 20 years. 
Yeah. Glad we didn't stay in Hermiston. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I hate to cut it off right here, but we could go for another two hours. I kind of want to save the rest of it for another episode. With Cliff. <laughs> well, no, we could do another one, just you and I. But yeah, one with Cliff, too, where you guys just go through all your mm-hmm. childhood stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cool? Yep. <laughs>